Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how thankful we are that our lives, our circumstances, our fears, our impossibilities are in Your hands. And You alone can speak victory from defeat, joy from sorrow, and peace from the impossible. Turn our focus now to Your Word, Lord. We pray for open hearts that allow You to reach us this morning. In Your name we pray. Amen. We're going to talk a little bit today about the very first human emotion we experience. The very earliest emotion we experience as human beings. In fact, we experience it in the womb before we ever see the light of day. Fear. It's the strongest of all the emotions. and It can compel us to act and behave or hold us back from acting despite our every intention. Fear takes over. When fear moves in, it takes over our thoughts, our behavior, our actions. Fear cripples. Fear consumes. The cause of fear is, is unimportant. The effects are undeniable. In fact, it, it may be totally unsubstantiated fear, but the effects are very real to the one experiencing it. Remember, as young children, we were always afraid of something that was totally imagined. Monsters in my closet, the boogeyman under my bed. Recently, my, my daughter Haley, who's five now, was having a hard time going to bed at night, falling asleep. And I went to her and I said, sweetheart, what's, what's wrong? She said, I'm afraid I'm going to have a scary dream. And I, I asked for clarification there. Wait, you, you had a scary dream? No, no, I'm afraid I'm going to have a scary dream. So I congratulated her for coming up with a brand new phobia. A fear of fear. And I looked it up and it exists. And it's well documented. In fact, I was amazed to find out there's over 530 well documented phobias covering anything and everything you can imagine. If you can think it up, someone's terrified by it. Here's a few for you. These are real. Palatophobia, a fear of baldness or bald people. I love you, Sonny. Aerophobia, a fear of drafts. Porophyrophobia, a fear of the color purple. Chetophobia, a fear of hairy people. Levophobia, a fear of objects on the left side of our bodies. Dextrophobia, a fear of objects on the right side of our bodies. Auroraphobia, fear of the northern lights. Caliprophobia, a fear of obscure meanings. Thalassophobia, a fear of being seated. Stabis basophobia, a fear of standing and walking. Odontophobia, a fear of teeth. Graphophobia, a fear of writing in public. Phobophobia, there it is, a fear of being afraid. Triskaidakaphobia, a fear of the number 13. It goes on and on. And we chuckle at some of these, but the reality is that fear is everywhere. It's pervasive. 
It's universal. It's constant. And if it's not properly handled, it's ultimately destructive. Basil King, in his book, The Conquest of Fear, he he points out that fear causes more misery than all the sin and sickness of our lives combined. He writes, we're not sick all the time and we're not sinning all the time, but most people are afraid of something or somebody all the time. Fear permeates every aspect of our lives. With nauseating power, we encounter fear where, where we least expect it and most despise it. We feel it in relationships. We're nagged by fear in our careers. We sense its gnawing presence while driving on the highway. When looking into the face of your child. Or even when going to bed at night. Fear is everywhere and fear is powerful. Lately, there seems to be every reason to fear, especially in light of recent events. You know, we ask ourselves, when is the next Boston incident going to occur? What will happen if North Korea gets it together and is able to launch a missile pointed at the West Coast? Will I get caught in the crossfire of a gunfight or, or be part of a, of a mass shooting? Will an explosion erupt nearby? What if the big one, the big earthquake finally hits? Will the economy take a dramatic downturn? Fears as familiar as breathing. It's part of life. It's part of being human. It's part of existing. Is there any place on this planet that is exempt from the danger of natural disaster or or the fury of depraved humans or the terrifying uncertainty of the future? Our health, our relationships. Because fear meddles with with our emotions and it confuses our rational thought, we need a clear perspective on it. In order to combat fear, we need to understand it as it, at its core. What causes fear? How does fear happen? How does something go from a passing thought that hits our mind to a gripping, terrifying fear? We need some source of truth and wisdom that comes from outside ourselves. Biology and psychology, they, they provide some helpful information about fear and its effects on our minds and bodies. But the Bible speaks directly to fear, unmistakably at its very core. The single most common phrase in, in the Bible, you know what it is? Fear not. It's found 365 times throughout Scripture. God cares about our fears. God wants to address our fears. Now, not all fear is bad. We learn early on in our Christian faith about the fear of God. The right kind of fear can produce the right kind of behavior. Right? Fear of discipline. Fear of breaking the rules. These are good things. Reasonable or normal fear prevents us from danger. On the other hand, abnormal or excessive fear is a monster which can paralyze and destroy And we know panic. Panic is fear that's out of control. We're going to look at a Bible story today that's a primer on overcoming fear by understanding its source, its roots. We're going to discover three well-illustrated causes for fear in our lives. How fear grows, how fear develops, and where that ultimately leads. And, And by identifying the causes, we find a cure. Turn with me or or look up at the screens to our text this morning. 
We've got a lot of reading to do. It's in Numbers 13. And here's the setup. Here's the nation of Israel at the doorstep of the promised land. The land they escaped Egypt to get to. The land promised them to their forefather Abraham. The land they had dreamed of during their years of slavery in Egypt. They thought about it. They dreamed about it. They told stories to their children imagining what it's going to be like. It was the land that filled their minds, their daydreams, their hearts, and their imaginations. They couldn't wait to get here. And now here they were. And the same God who delivered them from slavery under Pharaoh, through supernatural means, who parted the Red Sea for them, who went before them and guided them with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, that same God drops them off at the doorstep of the promised land. The doorstep to their answer to prayer. And you would think nothing, nothing is going to stop them. God is with them. God has proven Himself. This is what they dreamed of all their lives. Nothing is going to stop them from claiming their long-desired, long-promised dream. And here we find Moses, who selected one man from each of the twelve tribes and sent them to spy out the land and report on it. And let's start reading in verse 17. Numbers 13, verse 17. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, Go up through the Negev and on to, into the hill country. See what the land is like and, and, and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How's the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. Verse 23. They went on ahead. And when they reached the valley of Eshcol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them. That gives you an idea of the size of the grapes. Along with some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshcol because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. And there they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us and and it does flow with milk and honey. Here, Here's its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful. And, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. And the Hittites, Jebusites and Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. And then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't. We can't attack these people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak came from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we look the same to them. And let's stop there. 
Were they wrong to fear? No, no one can ever fault you for having a a fearful thought, a moment of terror, a nervous fear about what may happen. We're only human, but the fear becomes sin when it when you let it consume you and it prevents you from doing the right thing. I told you we're going to discover three very clear causes for fear outlined in this story. Here's the first one. Fear is born when we focus on the wrong things. We can't attack these people. They're stronger than we are. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we look the same to them. And therein lies the greatest source of fear. Our vision becomes isolated to just two things. Our obstacle and ourselves. Nowhere in their assessment was God mentioned. You know, I've found myself here too many times. We become experts on our obstacles. Our impossibilities, our enemies. We know the problem inside and out. We study its intricacies. We catalog its impossibilities. We can write a thesis on why it just can't be overcome. Remember Goliath? Remember the scene on that battlefield as all of Saul's soldiers were trembling in fear at the very thought of having to face the giant. And along comes little David. If you were to ask, how big is Goliath? You know what answer you'd receive? Those trembling soldiers on the hillside, they'd tell you exactly. He's 9'6", he's 9'10", with the helmet. If you ask David, he'd say, I don't know, he's, he's big, but my God is bigger. You see the difference? Fear, fear finds a foothold when we focus on our obstacle and what else? Ourselves. Two things. We focus on our obstacle and then our shortcomings. We take mental stock of all we can't do, all we don't have. We look to our own resources in light of our circumstances and no wonder, no wonder they became gripped with fear. When all you see is the impossibility at hand and your own shortcomings, you know what? You start to do the math and it isn't pretty. And no wonder they panicked. When the odds aren't in our favor, we feel we don't have control of the situation. We like odds in our favor. We like control. Being human, that's the greatest source of of assurance we feel we can have, of confidence. If we're in control of the situation. We always want to be in control of our situation, our prospects, our destiny. The reality is, however, we're never in control. It's a mirage if we think we are. We can't control the future, try as hard as we might. We need a far greater power. We need a far greater wisdom than we have in ourselves. If the only two variables in your calculation are your obstacle and yourself, then you know what? The outcome will always be panic. Friend, you need a new math book. Insert God into the equation and He'll change everything. He'll change your perspective. If we shift our focus off of ourselves, off of our circumstance, off of our obstacle and onto Him, there's no room for fear to invade. How difficult is my problem for the God of the universe? The one who who spoke light from darkness, who flung the stars into space. Can he handle my financial crisis? Can he handle my relationship troubles? Can he handle my work issue? That's the question we should ask ourselves. And it's a resounding yes. 
It's nothing to him. One time, a young skater was entered in her first competition. And just before she was about to, to go skate and go on the ice, she turned to her coach and she said, I can't do it. I'm too afraid. And her coach said, no, no, you're nervous. You're not afraid. There's a, there's a big difference. For example, if a man goes into a restaurant and orders a $100 meal, he may be a bit nervous, but if he has the $100 in his pocket, he knows he can handle it. Fear is ordering a $100 meal knowing you have no money. The skater got the coach's message. She concluded that she had the ability and the training to perform well. So she went out and finished first in the competition. Christians, we have a, a source far greater than $100 in the pocket or self-confidence. We have the unlimited God of the universe on our side. He's promised us, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. My grace is sufficient for you. The more we believe in the sufficiency of God, the more immune we'll be to excessive fear. If we focus on our God and His sufficiency, you know what? We leave no room for fear. Fix your focus and you'll fix your fear. Second point, fear is born when we forget what God has already done in our lives. This wasn't a first glance assessment. They were there for 40 days. They studied the land. They prepared their report. They had over a month to think about it. You know, they had no friends there. It was foreign territory. They didn't have a job there. They had plenty of time. They weren't participating in any events. They're laying low, hiding out. Plenty of time to think. It's a lot of time to find courage. To get excited about what God is going to do. Or alternately, it's a lot of time to become gripped with growing fear. You would think, you would think in those 40 days, they would have remembered. They would have thought back and remembered the supernatural plagues God orchestrated to convince Pharaoh to release them from captivity. They were slaves just not that long ago. Look what God did. You would think they would have thought back to that moment when, when mountains and, and the Red Sea fenced them in and made them sitting ducks to a charging Egyptian army. And then, in an instant, God parts the sea and they walk through a dry path. And then He closes it up and their enemies are destroyed. You would think they would have remembered that ever-present cloud by day and the pillar of fire at night reminding them that God was leading them every step of the way. None of it. They didn't remember a thing. They only saw their inadequacies in the face of something greater, something bigger, something stronger. They could only think of the now. They couldn't remember what God has already done and what He can do again. We have short-term memories, don't we, when it comes to our circumstances and our obstacles in our lives. We tend to only see the now, the right now, what's in front of us right now. And we so easily forget what God has already done, what God has brought us through. We forget those times in our lives when God met us where we were. And He met our needs. When He took situations that seemed so impossible and found solutions. We forget those landmarks. 
If we want to overcome fear, go back. Go back and remember those landmarks. Remember God's faithfulness. Remember His providence. Remember His miracles. Tomorrow is Memorial Day, right? And it's a day we do what? We remember. We remember the memories, the battles fought, the sacrifices made. Every day in our walk with Christ should be Memorial Day. Let us daily remember the battles He fought for us. The storms He brought us through. The times when we were in need and He became our enough. The times when we were hurting so badly and He was our comfort. Remember those landmarks where He met us. Think about them. Talk about them. Share them. When we focus on God's past faithfulness, you know what it does? It builds up our faith in His future providence. We believe because we remember. We've seen it already. When our minds are focused on what He's already done for us and can thus do again, there's no room for fear to invade. Fix your memory and you'll fix your fear. Remember His faithfulness, His goodness. I wish this story ended differently. I love Joshua and Caleb's faith in the face of fear. And I wish they had more pull and influence to sway the naysayers. But sadly, fear is a very powerful resident when it moves in. We're going to keep reading now in Numbers 14. That night, verse 1, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, He will lead us into this land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Wow. Talk about fear out of control. This is it. And here we find the third cause of fear. Fear is born when we begin to envision a dreaded future. Their fear quickly turns to panic. Their panic leads to depression and then it happens. They take their present circumstance and they begin extrapolating it out into the future. The Lord brought us here only to let us fall by the sword. And and, and here's here's what's going to happen next. Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. That's right, we're going to die and it won't be a painless death. It'll be a painful death by the sword. It won't be pretty. And then our loved ones, you know what's going to happen to them? They'll be taken as plunder. We'll be dead and they'll be prisoners. Our future will be destroyed. And and, and, and you'll want to just slap them and say, stop it. 
They're claiming a future they have no business claiming. They take their dreaded imagination of what might happen and believe it as fact. Is there no room for hope in your envisioned future? Is there no room for God there? You know, the future isn't ours to focus on, to predict or to dread. Focus on your eternal future. That's guaranteed. But your earthly future, that's in God's hands, not in your head. Is there any good that can come from taking our anxious thoughts and envisioning a worst case scenario? None. It's a breeding ground for fear, for panic, for depression, and ultimately rebellion, like we see in this passage. I'm going to end up alone. I'm going to get laid off. I'm going to lose my house. My relationships will crumble. My family, my friends, my health. I know not what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. That should be our life song. Look at the future through eyes of hope, not eyes of fear. When we allow fear to come in, it destroys our, our hope of the future. Keep your eyes focused on Christ. Look to the future through eyes of hope. I love that. And, and, and it's not a trite phrase. Before you judge that as just a trite phrase, know that I'm being pragmatic. I'm not talking about blind optimism. Optimism says it's not so bad. Hope says, yeah, it's bad. It's very bad. But I still believe and trust in a God who can turn it around. That's how we combat fear. That's how we shut the door in the face of fear. When we allow it to invade our lives, it takes over and it never relents. Nothing displeases God more than when we give in to fear instead of choosing faith. Let's see what fear accomplished here. Numbers 14, verse 20. After Moses pleaded with God to forgive the nation of Israel. Verse 20, the Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. Since the Amalekites and the Canaanites are living in the valleys, turn back tomorrow and set out toward the desert along the route to the Red Sea. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, How long? How long will this wicked community grumble against me? I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. So tell them this. As surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very thing I heard you say. In the wilderness, your bodies will fall. Everyone 20 years old or more, who was counted in the census and who was grumbled against me, not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. As for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, guess what? I will bring them in to enjoy the land you have rejected. But as for you, your bodies will fall in this wilderness. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years. 
suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lies in the wilderness. For 40 years, one year for each of the 40 days you explored the land, you will suffer for your sins and know what it is like to have me against you. I, the Lord, have spoken and I will surely do these things to this whole wicked community which has banded together against me. They will meet their end in the wilderness. Here they will die. So the men Moses had sent to explore the land, those other ten who had returned and made the whole community grumble against them by spreading a bad report about it, these men who were responsible for spreading the bad report about the land were struck down and died of a plague before the Lord. Of the men who went to explore the land, only Joshua and Caleb survived. When Moses reported this to all the Israelites, they mourned bitterly. Early the next morning, they set out for the highest point in the hill country, saying, okay, we're ready now. Now we're ready to go up and, 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 and to the land the Lord promised and to take it. Surely we, we have sinned. But Moses said, why are you disobeying the Lord's command? This will not succeed. Do not go up because the Lord is not with you. You will be defeated by your enemies. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites will face you there. Because you have turned away from the Lord, He will not be with you and you will fall by the sword. Nevertheless, in their presumption, they went up toward the highest point in the hill country, though neither Moses nor the ark of the Lord's covenant moved from the camp. And then, sure enough, the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in that hill country came down and attacked them and beat them down all the way to Hormah. What a sad, tragic turn of events. Fear led to panic, panic to depression, depression to rebellion, rebellion to death and defeat. The Lord so graciously forgave them, but they still had to live with the consequences of their actions. Fear destroys. And the severity of God's punishment tells you exactly what He thinks of decisions and actions that are ruled by fear. That same generation, every one of them, except for those faithful two in Joshua and Caleb, would never step foot in the promised land. For the next 40 years, they would wander the desert, homeless, never having grasped their promise, never having overcome their fear. If only... If I could describe them, I would describe them, if only. If only they knew what a miracle God had planned for them. Had they not given in to their fears. They were so panicked about the battle they would have to fight. If only they knew God was going to give them that land without them ever having to raise a sword. Perhaps God has a miracle just up the road for you. And He's waiting for you to overcome this hurdle in front of you. Just one more. And how long have you been there? How much time have you wasted because of your fear, which leads to disobedience and bitterness and anger? The Israelites wasted 40 years because of their fear and they lost the blessing that was right in front of them. Next time we're gonna, we're gonna look at the conclusion of this story as their children, the next generation, came up against those same fears 40 years later.
and were part of one of the greatest upsets in the history of war. Friend, fear is very real. It's very present at every turn in our lives. But always remember this. It can only enter our hearts and minds and affect our lives if we invite it in. Know how to combat fear. Know how to close the door on fear. Refocus your vision off yourself and your obstacle and onto God. Remember His history of faithfulness and look to the future through eyes of hope. Fix your focus, fix your memory, fix your hope, and you'll fix your fear. What are you going through today? Has fear gripped your mind, your heart, and your life? I'm here to tell you that God has a cure for fear. God is the cure for fear. There's nothing you're facing that He can't fix. He can't resolve, remedy, or turn around for you. What has a hold on you today? Financial fears? Fear of the future? Health fears? Relationship anxieties? Job fears? Whatever they may be. Psychology will tell you you need to be in control to drive away your fears. The Bible tells us we're not in control and can never be in control. But God is. And the sooner we come to terms with that, the sooner we stop trying to take control and be in control, the sooner we will find peace and victory. Does fear have a hold on you? And you feel trapped because you have no relationship with the only one who can remove fear. The only one who can replace your anxiety with peace and give you a lasting joy for the first time in your life. Let today be your landmark day. The day when you say no to fear and yes to Christ. Yes to His offer of salvation, of forgiveness of sins, of peace and of reconciliation with God. And believer, if you're here today and you find yourself battling fear, remember, don't run away from your fears. Give God a chance to help you overcome them. Give Him room to work in you and on your behalf. Don't try to face your fears alone. You'll fail. Let God work for you. Remember the Israelites. At first, they ran from their fears and found failure. And then they charged ahead without God and they found defeat. Neither strategy works. Let Him lead you through your fears and you will find victory. God is still on His throne. God is still sovereign. God is still omniscient. He cares about you and your situation even more than you do. And remember, with just one word, He can change everything for you. When you realize that we're squarely in the hand of God, that all-loving and yet all-powerful hand, then all our fears melt away. I'm going to close with this story. A pastor had been on a long flight from one place to another, and, and the first warning of approaching problems came with the sign on the airplane flashing, fasten your seatbelts. Then after a while, a calm voice said, we won't be serving the beverages at this time as we're experiencing a little turbulence. Please be sure your seatbelt is fastened. As he looked around the aircraft, it became obvious that many of the passengers were becoming apprehensive. 
Later, the voice of the announcer said, we're so sorry that we're unable to serve the meal at this time. The turbulence is still ahead of us. And then the storm broke. The ominous cracks of thunder could be heard even above the roar of the engines. Lightning lit up the darkening skies and within moments, the great plane was like a cork tossed around on a celestial ocean. One moment the airplane was lifted on terrific currents of air, the next it dropped as if it were about to crash. The pastor confessed that he shared the discomfort and fear of those around him. He said, as I looked around the plane, I could see that nearly all the passengers were upset and alarmed. Some were praying. The future seemed ominous and many were wondering if they'd make it through the storm. Then I, I suddenly saw a little girl, he says. Apparently the storm meant nothing to her. She had tucked her feet beneath her as she, she sat up on her seat. She was reading a book and everything within her small world was calm and orderly. Sometimes she closed her eyes, then she'd read again, and then she would straighten her legs, but worry and fear were not in her world. When the plane was being buffeted by the terrible storm, when it lurched this way and that, as it rose and fell with frightening severity, when the adults were scared half to death, that marvelous child was completely composed and unafraid. The minister could hardly believe his eyes. It wasn't surprising, therefore, that when the plane finally reached its destination and all the passengers were hurrying to disembark, the pastor lingered to speak to the girl whom he had watched for such a long time. Having commented about the storm and the behavior of the plane, he asked her why she had not been afraid. And the girl replied, because my daddy's the pilot and he's taking me home. Let's always remember, no matter how fearful our circumstance, no matter how dark the situation, our father is the pilot and he's leading us home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we want to be children of, of faith, not of fear. Help us in each one of our circumstances to focus on You, not on ourselves, not on our weaknesses or our obstacles. We want to shift our view to You, Your love, Your goodness, Your wisdom and Your strength. Help us to always remember where You've brought us from, Lord. What You've done for us. Let us live as grateful believers, always remembering the landmarks of our lives, where You met us and met our needs. And help us, Father, to live with eyes and hearts of hope, always looking forward to the earthly future You've customized for us and the eternal future You've guaranteed for us. We love You, Father, and we hand over to You our fears, our anxieties, and our concerns. Let them no longer have a hold on us, Lord, as we live day by day in Your will and rooted on Your promises. We love You. In the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen.